Born and raised in LA, Paul Jackson Jr. was destined to become one of the most recorded guitarists in the music business. You've heard him play on major albums and for major artists over the past four decades. Michael Jackson, Daft Punk, Elton John, Michael Franks, Jeff Lorber, Rod Stewart, Lionel Richie, George Benson, and the list goes on. We finally connected with the Grammy-winning guitarist to talk about his career, collaborations, and solo work, and also how he remains a most sought-after session guitarist in the new global digital session age. We've waited a long time for this, and we're happy to welcome Paul Jackson Jr. Hey, Paul, welcome to Inside MusicCast. Hey, well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a great privilege. Our listeners have... Um have been waiting a long time for this, but they're very familiar with your work, and it's just honored to have one of the most recorded guitarists with us. Um, Paul, for those friends of ours uh, who are friends with you on Facebook, um, you know they yeah. know how con- <laughs> they know how constantly busy you are in your session life. You've been touring really heavily, uh, but this, this just didn't start yesterday. Um, you've been playing sessions for so many years, and and we all know that you've uh, been that A list guy for for decades. But are you able to uh, pick and choose? You know, right now in your career, what projects you take on? How do you go by uh, picking up your projects? Well, Eddie, like you said, I've been really fortunate to uh, be one of the first call guys for, gee, almost 40 years. Yeah. Uh, work, working with a variety of folks, you know, everybody from Ella Fitzgerald to Elton John, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from from Whitney Houston to Beyonce and, and the list goes on. Uh, in terms of picking and choosing, the thing that I always try to do is think about the music and the musical outcome. You know, um, all situations are not good situations. All music is not good music, unfortunately. And there's good and bad music in all genres. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is always associate myself with music that's going to be challenging and also fun or musically interesting, at least to me or to the crowd or to both, hopefully. But try to make sure that the situations are are. are fun and and uh, that that I can really bring something to the party. I don't want to be a part of something that that I don't feel like I can help make it better or make it more interesting. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of picking and choosing, the, I always let the music dictate uh, what I'm going to do. Yeah, you know, this is a whole new um, area of of music, a whole new uh, era of music. So, do you find yourself quite often uh, either uh, do, how many? What's the balance of the live sets as opposed to uh, projects that you work on your own studio, sending files off? Uh, because that's all part of the business these days is working yeah. with people all around the world. How how do you balance that? Well, uh, balancing the live versus um, sending people files mm-hmm. is pretty simple. Um, it, it's not like it was where you know, folks are calling you constantly to, to get in your car and, and go to a session. You know, everybody has all the players, guitar players, sax players. Um, I was talking to Eric Marienthal about his home setup, how he does saxes at home, and then yeah. other guys that I work with. Um, it's pretty easy to balance. Basically, you just, everything is internet and, and, you know, Facebook and Instagram and email, and guys will hit you up and say, hey, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. Yep. And can I'll just send you the files and, you know, you can play on it, send them the direction you're going and they can say yay or nay. And then you can, you know, send them send them the wave file. I like it when people actually send me full Pro Tools sessions so I can isolate things. Right. Yeah. But in terms of balancing, it's it's pretty easy. Um, You just once again, picking and choosing, hey, this is a good project. This is musically good. This is something that I feel like I could be helpful. Uh, the artist is good. The music, you know, the music is a nice direction. So it's really the same thing. It's It's pretty easy to balance, fortunately. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's that's really good information. You know, a lot of our listeners uh, and maybe the public doesn't even know how really involved you were with, um, you know, with the Daft Punk album right. with, uh, with Niles Rogers, and uh, but 
but we know because we saw a few weeks back that you posted that a neat little package came to your door, and it was uh, a <laughs> <laughs> talk to us about what what came uh, in the mail to you uh, because it was pretty cool this uh, uh, award. Well, uh, Eddie, I was at home minding my own business, and the doorbell <laughs> rang, and the package was delivered, and it happened to be a platinum album wow. for the Daft Punk uh, CD, Random Access Memory. That's sweet. And on that particular CD, I played on several songs like Get Lucky, and I was yeah. a co-writer on um, on a song, and uh, got to work on you know several other songs, and just great, great guys to work with. Um, really, really innovative, the way they approach things. And the good thing about working with Daft Punk is they just let you try a bunch of ideas. You know, we yeah. try this, try that. And also the fact that they gave me writers based on some parts that I come up with um, uh, in terms of, of something to base the song or base the song around. They, they, I really appreciate it. A lot of people don't do that, but I really appreciate the fact that Daft Punk did. So yeah, yeah I played on, on several songs on the record. And unfortunately, I was not there when Niall played. Yeah. But oh, okay. uh, we, we did get to do it live. And I got to uh, do it for him in a tribute that we did, the that uh, BMI did for him. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Daft Punk project was just really amazing and a, a real blessing to be a part of. Yeah. Well, you know, just thinking about that, tell us about how you got involved in that project and how did you get connected to uh, Guy and, and Tomas? Well, the way I got involved with the Daft Punk project was really just a phone call, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, I got a call from their office and said, hey, you know, we're working on a, on a new project. Would you like to come and work on it? And yeah. I did a little investigation as to who they were. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to come. And so uh, yeah. we spent a few days, like I said, tracking guitars, laying down things and trying different ideas. So uh, just working with those guys was just really, really incredible. But it really just started with a phone call. Well, you know, Paul, you probably had, you know, countless gold and platinum records on the wall. And how does it feel to have your name on, on projects like this one? I mean, what goes through your mind when you garner these awards? Uh, you, you probably pinch yourself. You've got to pinch yourself. <laughs> I, I absolutely do, Rick, man. <laughs> when I get a, a gold or platinum, it's it's surreal. You know, I tell people all the time, it's a miracle to me that I play the guitar for a living and that people would have me come and, and play the guitar for them. And I just yeah. consider it the ultimate blessing. Yeah, There's definitely. a scripture in the Bible that says that your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. And for, like I said, almost 40 years, that's been happening in my life. And like you said, I pinch myself every day that I still get to play the guitar on on great projects and work with great people. And for that matter, that people would want to bother to interview me. I mean, that's a blessing as well, that that people would want to you know listen to me talk. So, I mean, it's I, like you said, man, I just pinch myself. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Well, you know, you just mentioned that, you know, it's such a blessing to have played on on so many records and played for people. And, and you know, we Eddie and I were looking at your discography and it's, I know. I've got a list here of of uh, of artists you've played with and I'm not going to go through them all but I'm just going to seven pages I'm going to cherry pick it might that could last the entire episode but I mean you know it's I mean I'll just name a few here the Crusaders Donna Summer Tom Jones uh, Aretha Franklin Stan Getz uh, let me skip around uh, we've got uh, Ray Parker Jr. Anita Baker uh, Scritti Politti Scritti Politti we've had, that uh, one man we had David Gamson on before yeah we uh, had David oh, wow. Ga- yeah we had David Real Gamson creative several guy, years David Gamson. yeah he's amazing but wow. Michael McDonald Boss Skaggs John Anderson we had John Anderson and Michael McDonald on the show yeah, Keiko uh, but yeah there's I mean it's just the list goes on and on and of course you know if you want to find out more about who Paul's played with, um, it'll be a novel, and you can read that on your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, 
Well, hey, Paul, the, the festival season is kicking up, and you know, you've performed with uh, Dave Cause and have hit the Napa uh, Jazz Getaway and Catalina. Right. Um, Seal Beach Jazz Festivals. Do you, do you enjoy playing these live gigs? Absolutely. We just got back from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina with uh, Jeff Lorber and Everett Harp. We did a Jeff Lorber Fusion gig yeah. at, uh, at Charlotte, and man, we had a blast just playing live. You know, Jeff's music is great. It Playing is. with Jeff and Everett is always great. And, and we just had a really, really great time. Jimmy Haslip played, a drummer by the name of Gordon Campbell. And we just had a blast. So I, I love playing live, playing for folks, coming up with new ideas, you know, trying to uh, play live what I practiced at home. So, yeah I, yeah, I love playing live, love getting out as much as I can. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Paul, there's clear this up a little bit. Uh, there's a rumor out that you and Jeff Lober are twin brothers. Is that true or not? Uh, that act, That is absolutely true. Yes, we were separated. <laughs> That's 100% true. A long time ago, I was at a studio in, uh, in Palisades and uh, and uh, and we started talking about different musicians that he uh, was working with. Of course, Eric and Jimmy and and your name came along and he says yeah he's my twin brother I said, <laughs> <laughs> that is correct he uh, did not lie to you Jeff is my twin brother <laughs> how was it working with him I mean uh, Jeff has been very much like you even in the scene for the longest time and and you guys are perennially talented and you just never stop I mean talk about uh, working with Jeff and Eric and, and Jimmy a little bit would you well, working with Jeff Lorber is always amazing. He is singly one of the most talented people I know. Yeah. He has never stopped to be really creative, to push the envelopes, to, you know, cross the line between contemporary and bebop and write really, really interesting music. So working with him is always fun because it's always rhythmic and funky and interesting and there's always places to play. There's always there are always things to solo on and, mm-hmm. and things to really sink your teeth into. So I just absolutely love working with Jeff Lorber. And he's he's also uh, he's also one of the nicest guys too. I just I just hung oh, yeah. out with him down in Cincinnati a month or so ago and caught his show down there. And he's just he's just such a super guy in general. He's a big supporter of our show too. Yes, and, and really sta- a nice guy. Staying yeah. on the topic of Jeff, um, he's currently involved uh, with you on, on your new project that's in the work called More Stories. And uh, Eddie and I are curious about how that project's coming along. And and uh, yeah, can you tell us anything about it at this point? Absolutely. More stories will be a continuation of stories from Stompin' Willie. Okay. And right now, Jeff and I have about four songs that we're working on. We're finishing for the project. Then I'm going to do some other things uh, with Patrice Russian and some other uh, folks, a few more surprises on there. But yeah, Jeff and I, we've got four things that we're that we're finishing up actually uh, pretty soon. And the CD project should be out at the beginning of the year. Okay. But uh, right now, what we're doing is we're going to release a third single from Stories from Stompin' Willie, a song that I co-wrote with Jeff. It's called Down the Road. Okay. And that'll be hitting the radio in uh, July, actually. Uh, we go for ads. So, uh, yeah, that's the song that I did, one of the songs I did with Jeff. So that's that's going to be the, le- the next single from Stories from Stompin' Willie. Yeah, cool. You know, Jeff mentioned to us that he remembered going over to your house, like back in the early 80s, and that you had a, a 24-track machine in your living room. And <laughs> that was when you were, I think you were still living with your parents in Inglewood. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my parents were kind enough to let me set up all my crap in their den. <laughs> and uh, it was Ray Parker Jr. that told me, he said, hey, Paul, are you in this to uh, to for the long haul? I said, yeah. He said, are you in this to stay? I said, yeah. He said, then you need to start recording your own music. I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, well, get a 24 track. So (laughs) I took every single dime I had and I bought a 24 track machine and a board and started just figuring out how to record and make music. And one of the people that actually stopped by the house was none other than Jeff Lorber. And we're talking, oh gosh, ooh, we're talking almost 30 years ago. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He said your studio was awesome. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean that he hired uh, that same contractor to build his own studio. In fact, uh, which uh, according to him was a very, very good decision. You know. <laughs> well, actually, that studio came later. I had moved actually from my parents' house to uh, another house, and then later to a house in, in Encino, California. Okay. And gotcha. it was at the Encino house that I actually built the studio. And Jeff came over to record. I did a record called Never Alone Duets. Yeah. Jeff came over to do a solo. And uh, he said, wow, this is a great studio. Who built it for you? And I told him the guy's name is a guy by the name of Ron Went. And uh, he hired Ron to build his studio. And to this day, that's the studio that Jeff has. And I don't live at the Encino place anymore, but Jeff, you know, still has a studio. It's up and running and, and doing great. But yeah, that actually, absolutely true story. Yeah. Very cool. You've been busy for so many years, Paul, and um, you know, but you've been able to write, perform, and, and release around, I believe it's around eight solo albums. Is that correct? Let's see. Is it eight or seven? I yeah. think the, uh, seven Stories eight, from Stomping yeah. Willie is number eight. That's yeah, correct. Some, yep. Yeah. And most yeah. recent, and most recently, of course, was Stories from Stomping Willie, uh, which is your tribute, of course, to your your dear friend George Duke. And uh, tell us about the title of this album and and what it has to do with your relationship with George, because you got you two were very very tight. Well, Stories from Stomping Willie, as you said, is a tribute to my buddy George Duke. George gave me the name Stomping Willie. And the story went something like this. I uh, would go over George's house to work, and George used to call me PJ. Then he started calling me PJ Wiggles. <laughs> then PJ Wiggles went to PJ Wiggle Stomp. Then PJ Wiggle Stomp went to just Wiggle Stomp, and then Wiggle Stomp morphed into Stompin' Willie. <laughs> and so, so Stompin' Willie was the iteration that stuck, and so I just adopted the name uh, Stompin' Willie. So <laughs> because right. this is a tribute to him, it's stories from Stompin' Willie. That's a logical pro- progression, wouldn't you say, Rick? I'd say. <laughs> in the mind, in the creative mind of George Duke. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this album, I mean, it, it had a huge playlist on it. I mean, of course, you talk about Lorber, Haslip, Tom Scott, John Beasley, who's an amazing player, yep. Patrice Ruchin and Ricky Minor. It was an amazing album. And we definitely recommend this to any of our listeners if uh, you don't uh, have your ears around uh, this baby right here. I, so. I, you just mentioned John Beasley. I think I just uh, – keyboard player, right? Yeah. I just saw him. Correct, uh, yeah. He's, he's out with Peter Erskine, and I just saw Peter Erskine uh, a couple weeks ago here at a, at a club here in town, and, and uh, John Beasley was playing for him. And, yeah, he's incredible. He's an amazing <laughs> – He's amazing. incredible. Yeah. yeah. One of the best out there, you know. John Beasley did a solo. They did a tribute record to Al Jarreau that I worked on. And Marcus Miller produced a version of Someday, and John Beasley takes a solo on there that is unbelievable. So that, yeah. you might want to check that out. It's uh, it's uh, Someday on the uh, on the Algero tribute to George Duke. It's called My Old Friend is the name of the project. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Beasley does a solo. It's amazing. It is amazing. I have that album. That's a wonderful piece. Yeah, it's great. Well, hey, Eddie and Paul, if you guys uh, don't mind, let's pause and take our first break. And uh, let's listen to a track from uh, Paul's 2016 release called Stories from Stompin' Willie. And this is a track called That's What She Said. From our guest today, Paul Jackson Jr. on Inside MusicCast.
Let me ask you this, Paul. Um, what is your motivation to record solo records? I mean, are you the kind of guy that is constantly thinking of musical hooks and you need to get them recorded? I mean, there must be a lot of personal influences that drive you to create. So tell us a little bit about what that is that, that drives you to record these solo projects. The thing that drives me to record solo projects is improvement. Okay. Uh, my goal is to always play better, play cleaner, play faster, play more interesting solos and write better songs. So my impetus for, for recording is to do just those, is to do those four things, is to try new ideas, try out new rhythms, try out new solo ideas, you know, like I said, perform things that I practiced at home yeah. and see how good I can actually make them. So for me, it's about making better and better and better music. And that, that's, that's the thing really that drives me to, to continue. Very good. Do you ever have situations like in the eight solo albums where you've, you know, you, you've 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 cut an album and then you you know when you go to your next one that uh, that you, you feel like maybe you didn't progress, maybe something happened within that that progress that where you didn't feel like you achieved another plateau, or do you feel like you constantly progress in a way that feels good to you? I think in recording the eight records, I think I've been continually progressing in in uh, in an, in a. Uh, and at least a, a slope, if you will, an upward slope that feels good. Uh, it just involves, you know, yeah. digging in more and, and practicing more and working harder. Yeah. But I do think that they that each one has improved. That's okay. Interesting. Very good. Um, you know, in the studio, do you um, do you record everything as demos? Is that how you basically write? Uh, do you demo everything, or do you write, or how, what's your progression when you start putting some things down? Well, recording for me, the process has kind of changed. I mean, we used to do song demos and kind of yeah. figure out how it goes. But now, because of the advent of digital recording, because it's so yeah. good, yeah. you know, the demo ends up being the, the finished product. So <laughs> Isn't that true? I yeah. always approach... Yeah, I always approach everything as a finished product. Try to get a good guitar sound. Yeah, try to yeah. play some interesting things, and and you know, have a setup that I can come back to later and say, okay, well, I got this sound, and I want to improve on it, or I want to finish that solo. So try to match the sound. So the days of demos are gone because um, because recording has gotten so good. The the demo may end up being the master. So uh, I I just I dive right in every time I'm I'm writing a song. Yeah, very good, very good. Hey, Paul, you know, the, the, at that level of musicianship where you exist, you know, it's a pretty small world, you know, and uh, so let's talk about your support uh, musicians for your solo albums, you know. Has the lineup for these, uh, for your contributing musicians, has, uh, has that changed over your, the, the last few albums? Or, uh, and if they have, how do you go by lining up the right guys? Is it a schedule? Talk us through that. Well, finding musicians for the projects actually is not as difficult as one might think, because the music community, like you said, is not really that big. Yeah. And if you can think of yourself as a casting agent and you listen to what guys do and listen to what guys have done. And and when you write a song, you, sometimes you have guys in mind. It's like, who would sound great on saxophone? Who would be a great bass player? Yeah. And then also uh, things that I've done in the past. Like, for instance, I had a song on radio called It's a Shame. There was a number one record at radio, and it featured on keys Wayne Lindsay, on bass Alex Al, and on drums Teddy Campbell. Okay. And if you look, they they played on all my subsequent projects because it's like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> and then and then and then same thing with Jeff Lorber. You know, we've done some pretty incredible stuff together, so we continue to work together. And yeah. then you say, okay, you know, like, well, who might 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 add an interesting flavor? Like, for instance, I hadn't recorded with Tom Scott in a while, right? And I said, you know, Tom is such an incredible musician. I wanted to write a song that featured him. Yeah. And then I worked with my, my old buddy Cornelius Mims, who I've been working, who I've known all my life, and who I've been recording with for twenty years. So uh, it's 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 a casting call kind of thing. It's like you bring in guys. 
that you know will will add to the project or if you think of it as like a, a pot of stew you know who's the right amount of who's the right seasoning mm-hmm. for this and who's the right cut of meat and who's the the right <laughs> kind of potato to make the right. stew that you're trying to mix yep. so that that's kind of how i approach it yeah. well hey paul you're an la guy you know born and raised and you started playing you know really early and and uh you were in bands uh when you, you know when you were a teenager do you remember your first guitar and and what it was and and how did you get your chops on the guitar did you did you learn by ear or did you uh did you study it, it, it take lessons or go to school well, yeah, I do remember my first guitar. My first guitar, in fact, this is the way that I started playing guitar. I wanted to play drums. Okay. And my mother took me to the music store, to Gardena Valley Music, and we walked in. Actually, in the window was a set of drums that was $359. And she said, Paul, that is not going to happen. So we walked in the store. She said, is there, is there anything else in here that you like? And there was a $20 guitar called it was a custom craft guitar and it was twenty dollars yeah yeah and so i got that guitar and then three years later i really started studying with a guy by the name of gary bell and gary bell is the one that really got me interested in playing and teaching me all about the guitar and what the guitar could do and and then a few years later i decided that i wanted to be a musician so i really dove in and got a lot of help from people like patrice russian and lee rittenauer and ray parker jr and al mckay who really, really helped me, uh, and a guy by the name of Frank Wilson, who really helped me hone my craft for the studio. Okay, that's amazing. That's neat. Jeff Lorber, going back to Jeff Lorber, he also mentioned that uh, you and Nathan Easton and John Robinson had a band in the 80s called Spur of the Moment. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that band? <laughs> Uh-oh, he's laughing. Well, well, no, Spur of the Moment was just that. It's like, hey, what, what would it sound like if we had a band? So we, uh, we got together and played a couple of gigs, and it was Spur of the Moment. And that's <laughs> that's okay. about the extent of it. We did one demo, I think, and, and that was the end of it. <laughs> kind of like the, the predecessor to Foreplay. <laughs> okay, we know a secret. Uh, we hear that it was during a session uh, or a gig from Spur of Moment, Spur of the Moment, that uh, Lee Rittenauer met his wife. Is that true? That is true. At one of the two or three gigs we did, Lee met his wife at the Spur of the Moment gig. <laughs> one of three. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, he uh, he. We were talking to him, and and he actually we asked him actually to to. Name some tracks that stood out in, in partnering with you. And you know what he uh, he pulled out of his bag? He The first track, he he pulled out a track called uh, Let Me Tickle Your Fancy. That's a Jermaine Jackson tune. And uh, yeah. do you remember this track? <laughs> I do. Uh, Let Me Tickle Your Fancy came about because I was working with Jermaine Jackson doing overdubs and we were writing songs. And I used to sit around the studio playing a certain guitar lick. And so Jermaine said, you know what? One of these days, we're going to turn that into a song. And that guitar lick was what the basis for "Let Me Tickle Your Fancy" was. Wow. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of of the band Devo. I have been since they first came out, or since I first saw them on that Saturday Night Live episode. And how did they get involved in this song? Do you, do you know, know anything about any background on that? Well, once again, just kind of a telephone call. The song was sort of a techno yeah. departure for Jermaine, and it had rock and roll guitars in it and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And so Jermaine, you know, in his inimitable creativity, wanted to take it to another level. So he called Mike Mothersbaugh from uh, Devo, and they came in and, and sang background. Amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, wow. you, you can definitely hear the influence on that track. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and the second track that uh, Jeff mentioned was uh, a track of uh, by DeBarge, and it was Rhythm of the Night, which was a huge hit that Jeff worked on because he had just moved to L.A. And uh, But right. you, you played on that track, too. Amazing. I did. It was my, myself and a young guitar player at the time who was going to be a great producer by the name of Dan Huff. And yep. we played guitar on it. I think it was Jeff 
uh, I mean, so John Robinson, J.R. on drums. And I'm pretty sure it was Nathan Watts from the Stevie Wonder Band on bass. Okay. And yeah, that was the rhythm section for that song. Correct. Produced by Richard Perry. Amazing guitar on that. Hey, we haven't really talked too much about uh, influences. And, and one of them that we know was a pretty giant influence uh, on you was, was uh, Wes Montgomery. And um, Eddie and I are based here in Indianapolis, which is where Wes grew up and honed his skills. And you know, although you never met him, he was one of the biggest influences in your guitar playing, right? Correct. That's correct. Wes Montgomery uh, was and still is a very big influence in my playing. Yeah. So let's get technical a little bit. I mean, we've got a lot of guitarists listening out there. And, and what was it, you know, uh, technically speaking, about Wes's playing that you loved? And how did you go about picking up the, the nuances that Wes's music offered? Well, the thing about Wes Montgomery, to me, was the evenness of his playing in terms of mm-hmm. the, the approach. He wasn't necessarily the fastest, although speed was great. Um, but it was just the evenness and then harmonically the way he approached solos. And then, of course, he's known for playing octaves, and that was the thing that, that we kind of all got from Wes. But just his approach to playing octaves in a linear fashion. Most people think of octaves in a rhythmic fashion, yeah. but he really approached octaves in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. And then also his chord melodies. If you really analyze his chord melodies, the things that he came up with were just amazing. And then there are a lot of transcriptions that I have here at the house that I still play just to find out, okay, what was he thinking? And right. how did he approach this? Mm-hmm. So it, it had to do with his evenness of playing, his tone. You know, He, pl- learned, he played with his thumb because he didn't want to wake his family up when he was practicing. <laughs> right. And then the fact that he took octaves from a rhythmic thing to a very linear thing yeah which up to that point most people had not done yeah so those were the things that i really liked about west and still continue to like about west so we've talked about west but um any other influences that really stand out for you and who, who were they yeah oh absolutely uh people like of course lee rittenauer and, and george benson and to a large degree earl clue uh-huh. i was studying classical guitar with a, a great guitarist by the name of greg Perret. And I, and I wanted it to kind of make sense. And then I saw Earl Clue playing jazz on a classical guitar. So for he, he made, he made for me, he made the nylon string, the classical guitar make sense. So Earl Clue was and still is a big influence. And then, like I said, Ray Parker Jr. from the rhythmic standpoint, Al McKay from the rhythmic standpoint, uh, Jimmy Nolan from the um, James Brown band from a rhythmic standpoint. Yeah. So just a lot of guys. And then I still listen to guys. I'm, I'm still a, like I'm a big Steve Lukather fan these days and still listen to a lot of guys because it, it never stops. You never stop growing as a musician. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. You know, you mentioned Earl Klug, and uh, boy, he's on my bucket list to go see him. Uh, he Every year he puts on a great show. I believe it's, it's a weekend in, in Colorado Springs at the Broadmoor. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, boy, I'm itching to get over there just to spend a few days and listen to his music. I've been a fan of his for the longest time, so thanks for mentioning him. Hey, hey, Paul, a lot of musicians, singers, and, you know, they, they sometimes start out in church, you know, then, and their faith is a big part of their life, their music. Uh, that's been part of your musical life, too. Talk to us about that, would you? Well, yeah, actually, I, I became a Christian at 17, and uh, I also started in college at 17 mm. as a musician. And so, uh, you know, I would play in church, I'd play guitar and play bass every Sunday, play for the choir, play for different programs. And uh, it was not only a creative outlet, it was a, a spiritual support system. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of guys actually, you know, hone their craft in church, especially now. A lot of drummers and guitar players and bass players and keyboard players, a lot of them, especially because of the complexity of gospel music now, a, a lion's share of the musicians that you're hearing today start, a, start out in church. Yeah. And uh, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great starting place. It's a great proving ground. It's a great support system. 
But uh, above all things, it's a place where you can worship God and, and, and offer your gift to him. And so that's what I uh, what I tried to do every Sunday was uh, just share my gift with uh, with with the folks, what God has given me. That's interesting. I read somewhere that uh, Justin Timberlake, of course, he started singing in school, in, in church. And I love what he said. He says, uh, the good thing about church playing is that nobody can boo you. <laughs> That's true. Nobody should boo you at church. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you crash and you're out, nobody's going to say boo. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, hey, Paul, Eddie, let's take uh, one more break, and let's listen to a track from that 2016 release, Stories from Stompin' Willie. And this is a track called Geneva. From our guest today, Paul Jackson Jr. on Inside MusicCast.
almost uh, wrapped up here, Paul, but um, you've traveled, you know, the globe and have taught, you know, worship conferences in Korea, Italy, Central America, all over. But tell us about that special trip in, in 1995 with Whitney Houston. I mean, you toured extensively with her. Right. I was with Whitney uh, Houston for five years. Uh-huh. And uh, the the biggest thing I think that blew me away was South Africa. When we went to South Africa, it was at a time when apartheid had just ended. Mm-hmm. So the concerts that we did were some of the first where black folks, white folks, and what they called colored, who was anything but black and white, could come to the concert together. Wow! So uh, we played at a soccer stadium, for instance, with 100,000 people there. And uh, wow. it was just mind-boggling to be there, to be at... Um, at the place where civilization started in Africa and just to be with Whitney and hearing her sing every night and just, it was just an awesome, awesome experience. I bet. Oh, that's really neat. So tell us, you know, we talked a little bit about the new album and uh, where are you in the progress and when uh, when do you expect a, a release date, Paul? Well, let's see. The new CD, More Stories, should be out the beginning of next year, beginning of 2018, January, February. Okay. Right now we're just finishing, like I said, finishing four tunes with Jeff. Then I'm going to go back in the studio, cut some live tracks, and uh, finish some things I have here at home, doing a little bit more writing, uh, pulling some things out of uh, out of the vault, and uh, should be ready to go, like I said, the beginning of uh, beginning of 2018. Cool. Well, we'll definitely stay in touch, and uh, when we get closer to that time, we'll, we'll definitely let, let our listeners know what's going on. Yeah, it'll be neat, neat to maybe get uh, him and, uh, and Jeff together in a little chat. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah definitely. That would be great. Hey, uh, besides uh, th- this record, what what does the rest of uh, 2017 look for you? Tour- are you touring anymore, or um, what what else is going on? Well, let's see. I'm doing some uh, some solo concerts uh, here in Los Angeles, okay, and also in uh, doing the uh, Balcones Jazz Festival in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Also doing some touring with uh, with Jeff Lorber and Everett Harp. We're doing uh, Long Beach Jazz and doing Sacramento Jazz Series. Cool. Uh, and actually going to do some dates with uh, Dave Kaz, actually over in Japan and Korea and nice. Hawaii. So got a few things coming up. Very nice. Yeah, good. Well, hey, Paul, thanks so much for spending time with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, it's good to finally get to talk to you and, and to find out what you're up to. And, and, uh, and yeah, thanks, thanks so much again. Well, Rick and Eddie, man, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll uh, till next time, okay? Take care now. All right. God bless. Special thanks to Paul Jackson Jr. for joining us on this episode of Inside MusicCast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, Minka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside MusicCast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices, or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside MusicCast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside MusicCast and Inside MusicCast Radio.